feel so overdressed. And that's with my coat off, I feel so overdressed. Um, yeah, I've got like old man shoes on, you know, have like topsiders or whatever. And uh, I've got a button down and like, I just feel really overdressed and old. And, and then I, I, I looked at, you know, the drummer, you know, how cool is that? I feel like I'm very old. Um, I, I will say this uh, on, on a serious note. Jason, Jason spoke kindly about Christ's covenant um, and, and what y'all have and what we have and all that whole dynamic. But I, I would remind you what Jason would also remind you. This, this is a bona fide church. You know, that whole, that whole line in the, in the New Testament about, uh, New Testament about um, you know, silver and gold have I none, but, but such as I have. Y'all have the stuff you need. I mean, this is, this is no, you know, church in progress thing or some sort of project or startup, you know, that might become one. Y'all are the church, uh, just as much as CCC has ever been on its recent 25th anniversary. But y'all are just as much a church. So, um, and I will say, uh, even though I, I, I made a, a, a witty comment about the, the drum box or whatever you call that, you kids call that thing, um, I am struck by the fact that one of the reasons you can be encouraged as this church is that God has equipped people. You know, there is a promise in being a part of the church that God has equipped a body to do the work he gave it. And and don't miss even in stuff like that or stuff all through this building that God validates your calling as a bona fide church through gifting people to do the work. Don't Don't miss that if you... Or some of the greatest things we just fly right over and go, yeah, they're good at that. No, give God more credit. God has equipped CCR, just like he's equipped CCC. And, and that's why he's, he's to be worshipped. Um, so I'm in this, um, we are in this uh, Philippians 2, 12 to 18. I, I, that was what I was handed. I will say a couple of reasons. I, I probably wouldn't have picked it myself. One, it's a chunk. I mean, those, those seven verses uh, represent at least several sermons, even for a a modest student of Scripture, and I'm probably not that. So if I can see a lot of sermons in that material, uh, you can imagine that a smart person could probably see a whole lot more. Um, but I am going to try to walk through that. The other thing I probably wouldn't have picked it is because one of the central themes in this passage is not grumbling and complaining. And, and I would submit that there are three topics you generally wouldn't, I would not think of myself as the right person to preach about. One, of course, would be hair care products. I, I don't I don't think that that's, you know, something that I bring a lot to the table on. Um, one would be vegan lifestyle, you know, eating just vegan stuff, you know, unless, unless Bojangles adopts that as a new menu. I would not be your person to talk about that. And um, grumbling and complaining. So, you know, I had, to, I had to actually deal with my own heart as I, as I read through this over the last week or two. So I, I appreciate that a little Holy Spirit-induced nudge. Thank you for that. Um, but I am looking forward to it. I'm, I'm going to trust that y'all have had a really good context leading up to today, that you understand that this is a letter uh, written from a dark place, um, but from a bright light in a dark place, um, that Paul is um, where most people would be despondent. Paul is, is just almost bubbly. He just exudes joy, and then he calls these people who are who are encountering some lesser challenges, but he's calling them to that same joy. And it's, um, it's a passage that uh, reminds us, as this whole book does, of this really tender heart Paul has for these people. Um, it's been read, that passage has been read, and references, references have been made to it. Um, there is a sweet spot 
and, and this really tough apostle, you know, hardcore trained, you know, he's, he's no wimp by any means, but he loves these people. Um, there is, it's, it's really affectionate. I don't, I don't know the right word for it. it there is an affection for these people. Um, when he wrote the, the folks in Galatia, the, he wrote other letters. He loved them as well, but he often was going at it. He had to use a bit more of a hammer because of what he was going after. This is this, you know, there's just a softness in his voice that even I can pick up in reading it. So I love that about it. It, it is a, a challenge for uh, elders who, um, you know, if you know anything about CCC's elder board, I'm probably not on it because I'm the sweet, bubbly, huggy guy. Um, I'm, I can do difficult things sometimes, and I can tote heavy stuff. I mean, I know what my giftings are, uh, and it's not generally to, to, to make you feel all warm. And remember when um, this time of year it's appropriate, uh, remember when Grinch, his heart started, like, expanding, and he said, I'm, I feel all whatever he said. I don't want to do that. Um, I don't want to ruin whatever image I have here. Um, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm like more pre-Grinch in my behavior than, than post-conversion Grinch. Um, so... I'll, I'll learn from this as well and have been challenged by that um, even this week. So you got the context, and he finishes up chapter 1, as you all have probably been taught, uh, calling them to a lifestyle of walking out their faith. And then he, he sets the supreme example forward in the first part of chapter 2. When he says, um, basically, this is what I've called you to. This is what God has called you to. Now here's, here's the ultimate example, the uber example. Christ himself, God himself, has laid down his life, laid down his divine prerogative to be this example and this savior for you. And that's all we want you to do. It's almost like he says, brothers and sisters, I just want you to be like him. So let's just do what he does. And then he goes into it. And, and the way I would break the passage up is really into these three big ideas. Now, 12 and 13, I talk about working out salvation. And, and I want to uh, make some sort of walkthrough of that make some references and, and some observations there. Uh, and then secondly, we would go to 14 uh, and 15 and talk about grumbling and complaining, which become about a whole lot more than just two actions that we, we might think of as one of a list of a, a litany of bad things we shouldn't do. It's much more than that. We want to we want to explore that. And then the third piece is this looking forward. Uh, he began with, the hope is in this example of Christ, but he ends with sort of the bookend, hope is the day, the day of Christ. And so we want to we begin with that example of Christ, and we want to end also looking at that day, because that, that example, while encouraging, is daunting. Um, but that example is, is, is a great bookend to, to end this passage, looking at that day and the joy that is before those who are faithful and what God is ultimately going to do on that day. So there's, there's some serious challenge in these seven verses, but there's some massive encouragement, and I hope it encourages you all. So we would begin. Let me read the first couple of verses. Uh, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, uh, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Um, I won't belabor the point. He's looking back, thus the therefore. Uh, my beloved, I've already talked about that. And then he, he goes on to say, as you've obeyed uh, in my presence, um, also now in my absence even more. The idea being there that um, the, faithful, the faithful student of the teacher doesn't just do it when they're standing in front of them. Y'all get that, right? Um, that really is the test, isn't it, of our obedience, whether it's to our parents or to our boss or to our teacher or to 
uh, an apostle in this case, uh, it's how we act when they're not there. Um, how we act when we're, we're prettied up for church and we've got our good clothes on and we're, you know, sort of putting on um, sort of the public regalia. Um, that is not the real test. The real test is when we're not wearing our press shirt and we're at the house and it's just our kids who, I ain't got to impress them, they're my kids, I feed them. Um, no, it, it really, it, it's not that simple. So Paul, Paul is um, sort of, and he did it also in, in chapter 1, in, in 127, he, he made the same press. Don't just do this in front of me, do this when I'm not here. And it wasn't just a, a call to, you know, let's fight hypocrisy, but he was looking forward. You know, he, he lets us know later in the passage, he's very aware that he may not come out of that prison. As it turns out, he did. He, maybe he didn't come out of another time in a Roman prison, but he was aware that he may not come out and he may, in fact, be martyred there. And so I think he wanted them to know, look, don't do this for me. What I'm teaching you is not about following me. It's about following Christ. And so the obedience you have is not to me or to a pastor or to an elder or anything like that, anything so earthly as that. It is to God himself. And, and by the way, you want to do it even more so because when I leave, you're going to have, whether, I, whether I'm martyred now or I leave later, uh, there's a life in front of you of obedience, a life of it, not just a little bit now. And so don't think about Paul as much as you love Paul. Remember, there were factions back then. We, we follow Paul and we follow Peter and Apollos and whatever. And, and I, I have to say, I mean, is that not apropos here? You know, when there is no official pastor in the, in the, in the chair. I mean, if, if y'all are not tested now to know where your devotions are, where your loyalties to, you'll never be tested. Because if you are of Daniel Savage, you're in a bad place right now. If you're of the Lord and Daniel was a vessel and there will be another one, and we pray sooner than later. But if you're following Christ, you're okay. If you were following a man or an elder or anybody, not real smart and not real encouraging either because they come and they go and they, they encourage and then they disappoint. And you know, I would not want the folks at CCC to, to be you know, in the Ray Rutledge fan club. I don't even think there is one, by the way. It would be kind of cool to hear about one maybe. I'd, I'd, I'd resist it in humility, of course. I'd tell them to stop, stop, stop like that. But... Um, they would not be wise if there were one. Because, you know, on my best day, I'm the same sinner they are. But, but following Christ, whether in the presence of Paul or the presence of the pastor or in their absence, that's really the calling here. In light of what Christ has done, in, in light of his example and his humility, and in light of the day, it's obedience um, to walk out the, the salvation. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the, 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 the words here. So we're wa- working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let me go first to sort of the secondary issue, which is, is this about individuals or about the church? There is some, as you can imagine, in, in any time, um, seminary types and, and seminary wannabes sit around, uh, particularly with the Internet now. Uh, they can debate anything, ad nauseum and write all sorts of stuff. And so there's this grand debate about, and has been, uh, was this work out your salvation you individually, or is this written to the local church? And I would submit to you that all the verbs in these two verses are plural. Um, so there is a, a fine case to be made that he's talking about them working out their salvation as a local body. This is what it means for this local church to walk out what they've been called to. And in fact, the walking out, uh, it, it, there's a reflexive property there that, that, that could be translated, walk it out amongst yourselves. So there is a case that he's talking to everybody. But Surely it's not a bad interpretation to say that he's saying, 
Lindsay, you walk out yours. You know, you, you, Andrea, you walk out yours. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's a false fight because we are called into a body, into this one another relationship. And so whether it's me working out mine, Jason working out his, or we're, we're in this body together, so we ultimately are working it out together. So the call is very personal uh, to me and to you to work out our salvation, uh, to, to incarnate it, to walk it out in flesh. It's also to this local body. And you just, I would suggest you need to keep both sort of perspectives. The, the other thing that I would go to is this nature, the notion of salvation. Because when we, when we hear work, because we, most of us have had a, a decent theological background, we know that work and salvation don't go together. They're, 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 you don't work for your salvation. We'd be very quick to say, hey, wait a minute. Salvation, that's by grace through faith, not that of yourselves. Not anything we do, that's because we boast about it. So work, we recoil. The problem is we, and, and particularly us in this, I would say in this sort of southeastern U.S. sort of world we live in, uh, the gospel has so often been reduced, salvation has been reduced to a decision, to a day that I pray to prayer. And so when we say, you know, we rightly have right theology that says we shouldn't work for our salvation, that we generally are responding to this conversion. That's what we, I think most of the time folks are recoiling at. You can't work for your conversion. That's the gift of God, lest we boast. Well, that's true. But salvation is so much more as revealed in the scriptures. Conversion is, is the entrance. But salvation is what God is doing in us as individuals and then through sanctification and ultimately glorification. But if you think of salvation here as just being when you pray to prayer, well then, yeah, you would recall and go, how do you work out your salvation? Isn't it a gift? Yeah, it's a gift that calls you to work. Because salvation is more. You follow me on that? Salvation is not about the day you pray to prayer. It's this larger work of God calling a people, uh, a family for his son, a bride for his son, and he's going to do a work through them over a long period of time to present a holy bride to his son. Much more than your day, the day you pray to prayer. You don't, you don't follow me on that? It's so important that we get that. We, we, we tend to... We tend, in, within the evangelical church, we tend to have these, we swing to the extremes on everything, right? Everything's an extreme. I get that. You're either extremely uh, Republican or extremely Democrat, extremely, you know, and we do that here. Um, the fact is, uh, there's the extreme that says, um, all you do is pray a prayer. You, you assent to three or four theological truths. Jesus is God. He came to die for us. His mother was a virgin. You know, yeah, I believe that. I pray to prayer, bam. That's an extreme view. Salvation is so much more. It may begin that way, but it's more. The other extreme view is that, well, you know, you better work. You better work really hard or, hard or God, God won't even love you. You better work. You can't rest in it. Well, that's extreme. The fact is we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I'll talk about that in a second. Understanding that it's God who's at work in us, both to will and to, and to work his good pleasure. What, what I want us to understand here is that the Christian life is is hard work. I don't want us to lose that. Um, you know, as, as an elder and really as a, a dad, as an individual, I, I often talk to people who, who say that they're struggling, they feel like they, they are not um, seeing um, victory is a, is a buzzword. They're, they're not seeing progress in an area of sin or, or they're not feeling joy or they're not, they're not overcoming the, this besetting sin that's just been driving them crazy for years. And they, it's like, I don't, I don't get it. And the fair question is, 
how hard are you working? And again, we recoil at that because we're so grace-informed. But the fact is, this passage calls us to work out our salvation. And the fact is, if somebody says, well, I'm not, I'm not really taking quiet times very seriously. I'm not often in the Word, if I were candid. I'm not really praying much. I'm not really looking to be discipled by a more mature believer. But I don't know why I'm not growing. I don't understand it. Because isn't it grace? Shouldn't it just kind of come by osmosis? Shouldn't I just be in a good reformed church and it'll just happen? This passage and the whole corpus of Scripture would say, you're crazy. We are called to work out our salvation before a God who is so holy and so awesome that we would do that with fear and trembling. And that's not fear and trembling like, oh, what's he going to do to me? It's a, it's a reverence. It's even a love-informed reverence of God. It's, it's he's so great that I would take him seriously. And when he says work out, that means I must work out. I, I, I'm, it's... Um, I don't know, I think sometimes we're afraid to ask some of these tougher questions when, when somebody's struggling, a marriage is struggling, an individual struggling, whatever. Um, we, we don't often want to go into the weeds of, well, how are you working it out? How are you investing in your own growth? What, what is your role? Because God is clearly here assigned a role to us. Not our conversion, but the walking out, the fleshing out of our salvation. And I don't know if we want to go there because maybe we feel like we're judging people to say, are you, having your, are you reading the Bible? It seems like a fair question. It seems like one that would be in play. Do you read your Bible regularly? But I, I'm not sure, A, maybe we're not reading ours faithfully, and so we would feel like massive hypocrites. Or maybe we would feel like we're just you know, going to come across as judgmental. But the fact is, if the Bible has been given to us and all we've been given all we need for life and godliness, and, and, and Christ you know, to, had these ritual times in the day when he saw his father, it's not a crazy thing to expect that we should be doing that too. And so it's not, it's not unreasonable or uncaring to say to somebody who's struggling with sin or struggling for a lack of joy to say, are you working out your salvation with fear and trembling? Are you in the word? Are you in prayer? Are you obeying what you do know? Are you uh, witnessing, not, not just verbally, but in all ways? We should ask those things of each other. It, you, you can't escape it. I mean, read it. Um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But lest we stop there and go, I've been working really hard for a long time and I don't see a lot of progress. We are so blessed to read, for it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. The fact is that God's pleasure is for our good. Anybody who would submit that God has this, this plan up there that, that is joy-robbing, um, this unfair view of God that he doesn't want us to have joy or have a good life. Now, that's been spun by many popular preachers today. Your best life, your good life is now about big cars and, and financial success. That is not what the Bible has ever laid out there. But, but God does want us to have joy. I mean, I can give you a lot of verses about that. He does want us to, to have progress and bear fruit. And he is actively at work both to help us with the will for that and the work for that. So we're called to work out our salvation before this holy God, understanding the example of Christ. Right? That's the call. And we are encouraged to know that God himself, who has done the converting, he is also at work as we pursue him to give us both the will and the enablement, sort of the, the ability and, and 
the motivation and the enablement to do that. So it, this this sort of symbia, this relationship we have is uh, it's easily sort of pulled to one side or the other. But the fact is, we have to accept what the scriptures lay out that God is at work in us, and we are called to work. And so, what does that mean practically to you? If you are not pursuing God in quiet times, and I'm not I'm not playing the legal card here, saying has to be every morning, has to be King James, it has to be this many days a week, you have to pray this long. Please don't, don't hear me saying that. But if there is no diet of pursuit in your life, do not blame God or do not blame anybody else for your struggle. You should expect your struggle. I should expect my struggle. The fact is, you know, um, I get a kick out of, of, of us. You know, when I'll ask somebody how they're doing in the scriptures, um, like leading a care group or leading a men's Bible study, and I'll say, how are you doing in the Word? And you'll get a, 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 these sort of church answers, like, well, I'm not in it like I ought to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm old enough and seasoned enough now, and I go, what's that mean? Is that two weeks or a month since you read your Bible? And that's, that's offensive, but then you get past all the fluff, and you go, what does it mean that I'm not in it? And when people will just sort of be honest and say, you know, I'm not in it, and when I'm in it, it's, sometimes it's feel like, it feels like duty. I feel like I'm forced to do it. I don't really look forward to it. I feel guilty if I don't. I feel drained if I do. I'm like, you know what? If you can be honest about that, we can, we can, work. We can go there. We can, we can take that, and we can encourage, and we can disciple, and God will will and work to, for his good pleasure. But it's the denial that, says, that comes into church and wants to, wants to front that we are, we're just, everything's great. Everything's great. Oh, you're having quiet. Oh, yeah, I'm having quiet times. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're rich. Yeah, they're rich. If they are, I'm thankful. But if they're not, admit it. Admit it. Struggling in the Christian life doesn't make you the weirdo. Look, we're in flesh trying to live a, 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 a heavenly life. It's, it's, it's stressful by definition. But it would begin by working. And if you're not working, if you're struggling with that, talk to a leader. Talk to a brother or sister who is. Just be honest about it. Let's not read through this passage and go, yeah, I understand that a little bit better now, yeah. But tomorrow morning, I'm still going to be right back where I was. We need to work out our salvation. Encourage that it's God that, who's at work in us ultimately to enable us to do that. And then that leads to the, this sort of application piece in verses 14 and 15. Um, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Paul, writing to this, these, these believers that he loved so much, has held out the example of Christ, and he said, now, in light of that example, I want you to walk it out. I want you to work out your salvation. And here's this big example. And, and, and I think... If they were just trying to guess ahead, the readers might have went, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, go to the temple a lot. Or read the Torah or whatever part of the canon, you know, they had it. Read it a lot. Maybe give a lot. Maybe dress super conservatively. Get a burqa and, and cover it all up. Even your nose, because maybe there are people that stumble at a, at a really attractive nose. I don't know. Cover it all up. And he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't add ritual or religion or anything like that. It's the way, this, this sort of primary way to walk it out. His magnus opus example of how to walk out your faith. What's he say? Stop grumbling and complaining. 
stop grumbling and bickering. And it's, if you think about that, that's, that's not what you probably would have expected him to say. Um, that's just one of the many sins on the list, isn't it, Paul? Why would you, why would you call that out? Well, let's unpack it. So he begins with saying, do all things. So let's not miss that. Do, very active. Um, back to the work theme. There is a do in this thing of growth. And all things doesn't limit, doesn't allow us to say these are the church things, the sacred or the secular. You know, that's another thing that we're, that's actually uh, one of the curses of, of being where we are near the seminary, which I love the seminary. I've taken a number of classes at the seminary. One of the curses is we sometimes uh, have this sort of split thinking that there's the sacred, which is what they, they, they're trained to do there, and then there's the secular. That's what sales guys like me do for a living. And somehow they're two different things. And, you know, it's a whole other conversation, but I find support for the conversation here that we're to do all things, not the church things, not the public things, not the all things. Um, and so now we're not talking about just church membership. We're talking about parenting, and we're talking about being kids, and we're talking about being workers, and we're talking about being neighbors, and we're talking about all those things that I absolutely struggle with as I read this passage this week. Uh, you know, my, my company, or for a sales company out of New York, fairly large business now, and we are reorging um, our executive staff, and it is changing a lot. And I'm not always pleased with how some of these changes are going. Now, I'm, I'm too aware that I'm the Christian guy on the team that I wouldn't stand up and go, I really, you know, rail in front of somebody. But it turns out I have some really cool Christian-y ways of saying how I feel about things. Um, I can grumble and complain in a very evangelical sort of way. I would never say my boss is an idiot. But I can say I'm not sure they're in touch with, you know, the implications of this downstream on the business model. Which is, my boss is smart. He's a Harvard law grad. He would probably say, did you just say I'm stupid? Um, All things. All things. Now, back to the, you know, I made that, minor observation early on of where y'all are without a pastor uh, and, and reminding you that what you have. I would also remind you that uh, not grumbling and complaining, boy, is this not a time to be reminded of this passage here. Um, I can only imagine that in transition there is something to offend everybody. To this, to that, to the other. And, and I, I think this is a timely passage for y'all just like it is for all of us. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. The, 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 the two words, they're not, they're not really sort of parallel. You know, they're not two, the same thing just said twice. They really are different. Grumbling is sort of internally what I'm, what I'm thinking, what I'm, what I'm sort of um, chewing on and my opinion of it that, that they didn't do it the way I wanted it done. Um, the second part, the questioning, or there are a lot of different words for that if you look in other translations. That's now when we're taking that outside of our head and we're beginning to put it on other people. It's when I say to, to Mr. Suffrage, you know, this is, do you think they did? you believe they did that? You, you believe they did that? Grumbling is when I think, how dare they not do it my way, uh, when I start calling my friends and saying, hey, can you believe they did it that way? They, that's that's the twofold nature of those words, and Lisa and I, I think, um, 
Lisa's always concerned, and I reference her in a sermon, that she's mortified that I'm going to say something about her. But I think this one's safe. Um, Lisa and I are struggling with a situation right now outside of our church world uh, in something with one of our kids where a, a program that we're a part of isn't acting at all the way we think they should act. And it's a bunch of believers, and neat believers. Uh, but they, in, in my opinion, um, things are not being done smartly and from an organizational standpoint. I'm being careful to not use my evangelical sort of, they're stupid, you know. Um, we, have to, we have to challenge, what Lisa and I have to do is do the right thing, which means you have to challenge error and try to make it better. But boy, that line, that, that decision, right, I'm not, and it's not a thousand feet behind it, like one inch past that decision is grumbling and complaining. And we need so much grace and so much wisdom to know how to, how to deal with the situation without going past it to, I can't believe you offended my sovereign rule. Which that's a whole other thing, we'll talk about that. So, without grumbling, grumbling or complaining that you may be blameless and innocent, is that not an interesting contrast? To juxtapose, grumbling, grumbling and complaining is the opposite of blameless and innocent. I mean, that's a, it makes me wonder, why does Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, have such an issue with grumbling and complaining? And then we realize that it is the polar opposite of what Christ did in that example. So Christ laid down. Christ was absolutely right, right? Totally right. Could have, if anybody was ever going to push back on, a, on things that were done, could have been Christ. He absolutely laid down his right to the point of death, to the point of death on the cross. Now, fast forward, he's saying to these people, don't grumble or complain within the church or within any part of your life in, a, in anything you do, because what it is at its core, forget the words that are said, it is a posture that says, I rule. I rule. And if things aren't done according to my rule, there's going to be hell to pay. I will exact wrath. Now, it'll start quietly. But, you know, Jesus has given us some insight into what happens in the hearts. He's kind of like doing it in action. You can murder it, you know, here just like you can there. So um, when we have, to, we have this option of, of laying down our rights, following Christ's example, or we can let it brew, we can grumble, and then we can take that to whether it's against leadership or it's against a peer or against a family member, and then it spreads. Because it turns out the person you spread it to, they're sinners too. And their soil is very, or they're, they're, they're very capable of taking it and running it to the next person. And now what should have been dealt with quickly as a short account, as, a, as an act of, of laying down rights, it is spread through a lot. I, I, um, you know, we hadn't had a family reunion in, on my mom's side of the family in a few years. But one of the reasons is because we've got these four matriarchs, you know, the four sisters. Uh, they're rascals too, but they, they don't... They don't like each other. They just don't like each other. Somewhere along the line, one of them offended one of them. And the one that got offended enjoined the other two, and it became three against one. And the dynamic was such that the one now goes way over the top to defend herself because she's having to fight three at one time. That's not a fair fight, and you don't quite falter. She's fighting three. Well, then they see her actions as being over the top, and she's unreasonable. And so they, talking amongst themselves, talk about what a, a loon she is and how horrible she is. Her response to that, I can't believe all three of you ganging up on me. I'm going to take it to another level. 
And it turns out 90-year-old women can scrap. It started when one of them didn't like what one of them did. And they grumbled about it. And then they complained about it. And here we are, all four of them can see the end of their earthly life. And they won't talk to each other. And we can't have a family reunion because you can't invite her. Believe it or not, that stuff happens in the church too. And so my, my, my application of this passage for CCR, just like it would be if I were at CCC, is see if that's going on here and ferret it out. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. doesn't mean you don't take action when things are wrong. It means you do that from a posture of humility. It means you examine yourself. Just like before you'd go to somebody in Matthew 18, you check your eye, you get the log out. It mean, it, it, it's how we do those things and that, that, to not be grumbling and complaining. So we can be um, blameless and innocent. And, and here's the application in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It turns out you do not, I, I thought this morning about a guy that I was in college with, a guy named Darren Rowley. You don't know Darren. He doesn't live here, so I think it's safe to use his name. When Darren became a, a committed believer, Darren wanted everybody to know he was a committed believer. So he bought a really black Bible. This would be like a pocket Bible. It was like a table Bible, a massive honking table Bible. But Darren was concerned that some might not know that it was the Bible. And he wanted people to know he loved the Word of God. So he got the biggest black Bible he could get, and he took a white marker, and he wrote, Holy Bible. I, I don't, apparently there are, there are other Bibles. But anyway, he wrote, Holy Bible, and then he would walk everywhere with the Holy Bible, not the unholy Bible, the Holy Bible. Darren's a great guy. That's my point isn't to say whether that was right or prudent or wrong. Here's my point. You don't have to get a big King James Bible and walk around and wave it at people and write Holy Bible on it for people to know that you're a light in a dark place. You don't even have to be um, the one who invites all your coworkers to church. You don't even have to be the one who loves on them and shows concern for them when they're hurting. be a good thing, by the way. It turns out all you have to do is not be a grumbling complainer in everything you do. And you will be so obviously different in this twisted generation. You will be a bright light in a dark world. Now, I'm not sure I know that from experience. Uh, I'd love to say um, that I have many years of proof of that. But the fact is, I'm 49. I've been a believer. Uh, I got saved when I was at uh, State back in 80, the beginning of 84. So I've been a believer uh, a while. Um, What's that, 30 years? Are you better at math than me? Or am I just calling you out randomly? Um, 30 years. And I still find enough of Adam, plenty of Adam, I should say. My, my kids will tell you that. That I can grumble and complain aplenty. If I want to be in my business community, um, if I really want to be different, I don't have to, there is a move, like in our company and some other companies, there is a return. It's the G effect. There is a return to coat and tie. There is this sense that we went too casual. You know, one day, just for, y'all are all going to be wearing three-piece suits one day. It's coming back, right? Um, there is a move to do that. It's, it's supposed to represent that we're, we're, we're going to swing the pendulum back to professionalism. 
You don't have to dress up to be light in a, in a dark place. You don't have to tell everybody about Jesus. And I'm surely not suggesting you not. You just have to not be a grumbling complainer. That is how pervasive grumbling and complaining is. This notion of laying down your rights and saying, yeah. Not, you don't even have to say that. That's not how I would have done it. You don't have to say anything. That will be so counterculture that you'll be a light in a dark world. And then when that passage says that you'd be, uh, be able to give an answer for them when they ask the hope that's in you, they ask that question because that, they see that stark difference. Nobody ever asked me about my hope because I had a big Bible. They just thought I might be weird. I'm not saying you shouldn't carry around a big Bible. Um, nobody will ask you for your hope if you're the person that doesn't tell dirty jokes at your office, and in fact, you'll give them a mean look if they do. They'll just tell them when you're not around. Jesus didn't get invited to the social functions because he told everybody when they messed up. He was just different, and it was attractive. And it turns out it's not any more complicated than not grumbling or complaining, and, and in doing so, appearing blameless in a perverse and twisted generation. It, it really harkens back to the old numbers language, the old Exodus language, when Paul talks about, you know, don't, don't be grumbling and complaining. That is the indictment of Israel. And we saw what that got. So what is this call to walk out this faith, to be like Jesus? What do I do? How many times a day do I have to do something? Look, you need to be in the Word because you need to grow and you don't want to be you know, stunted and miserable your whole life. But if you want to be a light in the world, just don't grumble and complain. There's more to it than that, but I'm telling you, that is the big starting point. Y'all get that? That is the big starting point. Because underneath grumbling is pride and, and control. And to lay down grumbling is to have to lay down heart issues. That's why it's more than just grumbling. And then finally, so we, we begin with this challenge and this hope in Christ and his example. Uh, we're called to walk out our faith. It turns out it is work, and that's not, any, not anything we should apologize for. That's not something God apologizes for. It is something he calls us to do and equips us to do, encourages us to do. And then he says an expression of that, a primary expression of somebody who's walking out their faith is that they don't grumble or complain. That will distinguish you from the world, the world in your local church and the world in your business and the world in your house. And then finally he says, sort of this, to close with hope again, you do this holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Clearly this is a guy who thought there was a really good opportunity for him to not come out of that prison. So, he has, he is uh, the. He is a simple man at this point. No, no showiness with Paul. I mean, can you imagine if you thought you were in prison and you were writing your family a letter, and you thought you might actually be um, receive a capital punishment? You wouldn't write your family about silly stuff. You'd only want to write them the important stuff. And this is what he says to them. And he says, "Look, I'm looking forward to a day." to the day of Christ, where I will have joy, um, not only on my own growth, but over your growth. The leader celebrates the growth of the, of the disciple. And he said, I'm encouraging you to look to that day. Look back to the example of Christ. 
get to work, and remember there's a day. And, and, and here's what I would point you to on that day. Um, that is a real day. Uh, there, there is actually a day of Christ. Uh, and it's not just um, some, some hopeful opiate you know, where we're, this is just something we believe to get us through the day. No, there is a, there is a time ahead of us when, when the world will be set right and God will be maxim, uh, will receive the maximum glory for us that we so struggle to give him now because we're so broken and we, we just are so messed up. If you see that day, if you know that day's coming, it seems to have two massive effects. One, if you believe that day, now, by the way, Jesus believe the day. Paul obviously believed the day. Um, if you don't believe the day, you're in some really shaky company. But if you believe that day and you consider it, you would know that it's a very sobering thought. Uh, I'm, I'm sober to know. You know when the Bible says that we'll give an account for every idle word? Is that not sobering? I mean, that freaks me out. It really does. People that talk a lot, and I do, man, that's a, that's a big one. Or as elders, Hebrews 13, we give account for their souls. That's big, right? So when I think about that day, um, I'm, I'm sort of, um, I want to say overwhelmed, I'm sobered. And I'm also encouraged because in that day, I won't be like me anymore. I won't just be transformed a little. I'll be translated it is different. Uh, this transforming work, this working on our salvation, uh, it, is, it is bit by bit, you know, all sorts of references in Scripture for it, but it is this slow, incremental, and sometimes it feels like it's two steps forward, three steps back. I, I, I was great for a day or two, and then I lost it again. I did that thing again. I thought I had stopped doing that. What is wrong with me? And of course, the answer is you're sinner doing it. Um, in that day, it won't be incremental limping along. It'll just be fixed. It'll just be fixed. Uh, grumbling and complaining will just not be in our, no pun intended, won't be in our vocabulary because we won't even have any false ideas about our own rule, our own sovereignty, because we'll actually see his. We'll see him. We'll be as he is. We'll see him as he is. And there won't be any stumbling anymore because we'll, will be translated, will be like him. And I won't do the stuff that drives me and my family and probably a lot of other people crazy. The same for you. That day is sobering but massively encouraging. I, w- I want y'all to I want y'all to think about the day. Um, and, and really as I as I close, I, I want you to be it's funny, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, there's always debate about the day and when's Christ coming back and um well, he hadn't come back in a long time. Remember in the New Testament, there were people that said, you know, what's the, what's the sign of his coming? It's been so long. Is he really coming back? It's been hundreds of years. Well, okay, it's been a couple thousand years. But the fact is, the day that I leave this, this life, that's my day. Uh, you know, Jesus may come back in 3,422 A.D. We, you know, we may be teleporting all over the place when he comes back. Who knows? But my day is going to be a lot sooner than that. So I'm 49. If I, if I hit the sort of the actuarial tables just right, I got another 30 or 40. If I cut back on Bo, maybe 45. 
that's my day. I walk out in that traffic and somebody hits me, my day will be that, that moment. That is a sobering thought to me and even frightening. I know, I know that we're to pray even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I know that, that the ultimate sign of health is that somebody would say, I want Jesus to come back right now. That is a strong sign of health. I don't always feel that way. I'll be candid with you. I, I, I find myself often going, can I just grow a little bit before you come back? I just don't want to be there like this. And it's, it's, a, it's a false view. Uh, it's me forgetting that he will translate me, and as bad as I am, he'll get more glory because of that, and it'll be okay. But So that day is sobering, but it's massively encouraging. So, so let, me, let me move us to close, and, and I guess I would just make a couple of applications on this passage. One, for, the, for those here who don't know Christ, I mean, you know, if you've got, you got a few people, there's somebody who might not know Christ, and I, I don't know everybody here, and the ones I know, I don't know your heart. So I'm going to assume for a second there are people here that don't know Christ as your Savior. I use some old church language. Here's what I would say to you. Um, working out your salvation, um, even with fear and trembling, and making genuine progress on grumbling and complaining, and looking forward to that day, all three of those points all presuppose that you're his, that you know him. Because you can't work out what you don't have. And you won't have power to grow if there's no life in you. And that day is not anything you should look forward to if you don't know him. So for those who don't know him, I wouldn't call you to work harder, to try to be a better person, to not grumble as much. I'm going to really try. Yeah, tell, tell my husband or, or, or wife, hey, if I do that, you tell me to stop. No, don't. they're not doing you any favors if they make you more moral. You need Christ. I'm telling you, what you don't want to do is get really good and moral and then face him and hear that, that incredible, I never knew you. So if, if, if you don't know Christ and you're not confident about that, don't, don't come out here trying to be better. Uh, come out of here uh, repenting um, of self-righteousness and calling on the name of the Lord. And then all this stuff can be real to you and it can even be exciting to you. For those who do know Christ... Um, you know what I would call you to is um, just those sort of big three points. It is work to grow in the faith. It is work. And anybody in here who's a believer who thinks that, um, that they don't have to spend time in the Word, that they don't have to be disciple, that they don't have to do the work, it's, it's delusional. It's delusional. You know, we would never, I heard somebody say the other day that, you know, trying to, it's hit kind of close to home. They said um, trying to uh, have victory and bear fruit without growing in Christ is trying to get ready for the Olympics, eat nothing but Twinkies. You know, it, uh, which I'm not a big Twinkie guy, so I didn't take it too personally. Um, but that really is what we do. We, we wonder where's our joy, where's our fruit, how come we can't engage our neighbor, how come we can't talk to our boss, how come we can't talk to our, the folks in the cubicle beside us, or our sister or our brother about the faith. How come we keep doing the same things? But there's no diet of growth. So I would just encourage you, if you're a believer here today, to examine this very fundamental idea that you're working out your salvation. Be encouraged that it's God who is at work and able both to give you the will and the means. But it's work. Secondly, to whatever degree there's grumbling or complaining in your home, in your life, at work, with your family, with your, in this church, wherever it is, 
I would beg you to recognize it for the heinous thing that it is. And I surely don't say, with my wife and kids here, I don't say, do like me on that one. I would say together. Let us recognize the heinousness of grumbling and complaining. It is, it, is a, it is the working out of pride and control, and it is the opposite of what Christ did. That is big application. And thirdly, for the believer here, I would say, please give some thought to that day. It's sobering, and you can't do it lightly, and you probably won't just do it on the way to work. Some things really take more time and attention than... than the ride to work, even though that can be very helpful. What I would encourage you to do is give real thought about that day and then say, what, what's, what, what should be different because of that day? If that is a real day, and if I'm going to really be there, should I not, A, be overjoyed that I'll be there fully and safely because of Christ? That'd be point one. But point two, how do I live in light of that? Do I want to keep acting that way? Do I want to keep serving that way? Do I want to keep investing that way? Do I want to keep living that way in light of the day, right? So um, I'm going to pray for us. I think, um, is that how it works? All right, and then somebody, okay. Things you don't know when you're the visitor, right? Um, I'm going to pray for us and uh, ask God to apply this as he sees fit uh, for his pleasure. Father, thank you for your word. yeah, thank you for your word and for uh, your care for us, that you would bring it to us from all sorts of ways and places and people. Thank you that it has the promise of your power, of your effectiveness, uh, that it will not come back void. And so ever how weakly we handle it, um, as we submit to you, we are confident that you can move through it. And even in this place, in CCR, I pray you would apply this word. Um, that we would be workers, never confusing that work with our saving. You are to be fully worshipped for saving us completely, but you have entrusted to us this partnership of work, of working out what you've began. And secondly, Father, I pray that you would expose in us um, that which is so contrary to the example of Christ, um, the grumbling and complaining that speaks volumes about our heart. And then finally, I do pray you would orient us toward your kingdom and toward that day when Christ will be ultimately lifted up and we will finally be able to worship him fully and completely and joyfully. Um, He deserves that. We look forward to that. I do pray you'd show us how to live in light of that. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.